Have you ever blown it real bad? I mean, made just an enormous failure, epic failure, and, and, and it was all your fault. I have. I almost shot my squad leader, Staff Sergeant Solomon, when I was in the Army. We were doing a, a live fire training exercise. I was a infantry squad leader, or infantry team leader. He was our, our squad leader. And the way you do a, a live fire exercise, at least the way we did these, is every live fire range is set up to do a particular infantry mission. And this particular mission was assaulting in a dug-in position. So we were moving, and then they assault, they, they opened up fire on us, and then we moved to engage them and to take over their position. And the way you do it is you have a team that's on this side, you have a squad leader here, and then a team on this side. And then this team moves forward, and then the squad leader moves forward, and then this team moves forward, and then the squad leader moves forward, and then this team moves forward. You kind of leapfrog your way up there. So while they're moving, we're shooting, and while we're moving, they're shooting. And what happened was Sergeant Solomon moved forward, and when we moved forward, we moved over behind him. So a, a target popped up, and I shot at it. And when the targets, they pop up, you shoot at them, you hit them, they fall down. The target popped up, I shot at it. And then it jumped to the side and, and yelled profanities in my general direction. And, and I knew, <laughs> I knew what I had done. I had shifted over the wrong way. Sergeant Solomon, he knew what had happened as well. He knew that I was behind him. He knew that I had made a terrible mistake. But worse than Sergeant Solomon knowing, my first sergeant, First Sergeant Willoughby, also knew what I had done. First Sergeant Willoughby was an old school Army Ranger. He put up with no nonsense at all. He did not put up with mistakes at this level. He did not suffer fools well. He was not known for being kind or merciful or gentle with those who failed at this level. And when the mission was over, we were going to have what they call an after-action report. And you all come together in a room and you talk about the mission. Sergeant, First Sergeant Willoughby was the observer. and He was the one that would lead the discussion. Here's what you did right. Here's what you did wrong. Here's some ways you could improve. And, and First Sergeant Willoughby was known to utterly humiliate people who messed up in these sort of situations. He was known to publicly fire them from their leadership positions uh, in, in these sort of after-action reviews. So we're walking up to the building where the AAR is going to take place. I'm mortified by the fact I nearly killed a friend of mine, I nearly killed my squad leader. On top of this, I'm certain... First Sergeant Willoughby is about to read me the riot act, publicly humiliate me, and almost certainly fire me as a team leader. My time as an infantry leader is over, and if he decides to take a hard enough line with this, my time in the army could have been over. Now Joshua and the Israelites, they face a similar situation in Joshua 7 and 8. In Joshua 7, they... Or Joshua 7, they go to battle against a small town called Ai, and they are defeated. 36 Israelite warriors were killed in this stunning defeat. They went before God and asked what was wrong, what had happened. And God told them there was sin in the camp. Turns out during the victorious battle of Jericho, 
a man named Achan had taken stuff that was supposed to be devoted to God. And this sin not only caused God to withdraw His presence from them, but it also caused God to actively fight against them until they were either destroyed or until they got the sin out of the camp. The punishment was Achan was stoned. Achan and his family were stoned. Their bodies were burned and rocks were piled upon them. And then the valley where this happened was called the Valley of Acre or the Valley of Trouble. Joshua 8 begins right after the judgment of Achan. So I want you to imagine the scene. You've, you've Just the day before, you've suffered a loss, a massive loss. The only one you've actually ever known in your life. You find out the loss is because a man in your group has taken something God said not to take. And so everyone had to take part in purging the sin from the camp. So they have all thrown rocks at Joshua. They were all there as they burnt the body at Achan. They were all there as they burned the bodies. The pile of rocks. I mean, they are literally beside the pile of rocks. They can still smell the smell of burnt flesh. All of that is still fresh in their minds. They are remembering the 36 who died, their loved ones who suffered because of Achan's sin. The anger of God had just been against them. And all in all, things may feel and look pretty dismal for them as they seek to move forward. I have to wonder if they are thinking questions like, will the Lord give us victory or are we through? Because, you know, when, the, when their parents wouldn't move forward the way God said, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God didn't give them a second chance at that point. Is that what's going to happen to us? Will He forgive us and be with us again? Or are we just doomed to, to fight and lose and die? Is this failure fatal to our being able to move forward and conquer the promised land, the land we've waited our entire life to come into. Now there will likely be times in our lives where we feel like the Israelites must have felt there. Times where we blow it. It's our fault. We make an enormous mess of what God wants us to do. We have sinned. And there is rubble, and there is destruction, and it's fresh in our minds, and it's fresh in our lives. And all we can see around us are the charred remains of our failure as we sit in our own valley of trouble. And we wonder, am I done? Will God ever work in me, through me, and for me again? Or is, am I just done at this point? Am I forever tarnished? Am I unusable by God? Will God forgive me or have I gone too far this time? Have I fallen so far I cannot be recovered? Is my failure fatal to my being able to move forward following Jesus? If you haven't done so already, open your Bible to Joshua 8. And we're going to try to answer these questions from Scripture. Joshua 8 verse 1 says, And the Lord said unto Joshua... Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given it into thy hand, the king of Ai and his people and the city and the land. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst to Jericho and her king. 
Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof you shall take for a prey under yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So it starts off great. God had not given up on them. Yes, they had blown it. Yes, there was a terrible mistake and consequences had followed. But God was still going to lead them forward. And as God goes to lead them forward, I like that He tells them to to fear not. Uh, Don't be afraid as you go forward. Don't you think they were probably afraid of another loss? They were probably afraid of more failure. They were probably afraid as they went forward they would blow it again. And yet God says, don't be afraid. Arise and go forward. Go back to Ai. And here's how you're going to go and fight the land. God is, is leading them right back to the place of their failure. So they could go and do it again. And this time do it right. That's significant, I think. They didn't get to go around AI. But they didn't get to skip it. God didn't say you probably have some sort of fear lodged in your psyche about that loss you experienced at AI. So we'll go around and after your confidence gets built up in these other victories, then we'll come back. No, God says arise. Go straight to AI. Go straight to the place you've lost. Go straight to what you're afraid of and move right into that again. God reaffirms the language He had already spoken. I have given into thy hand the king, the people, the city, and the land. I have given. The same language God was using at the very start of the book. Not, I'm going to give it. It's yours. The land is yours. AI is yours. All you have to do now is go and take it. According to God's word. But, they are going to have to go and take it. Right, The king is not going to surrender. The people are not going to come out. The land is not just automatically going to be theirs. They will have to get up, move out, and fight to take what God has given them. And when the battle was over, they get to keep the stuff. The spoil. They would destroy the city and the people just like they did Jericho, but they would get to keep all of the spoil for themselves. And just as a side note, this is a part of what makes what happened in chapter 7 so tragic. This is a part of what makes Achan's sin so sad. God wasn't keeping them from the good of the land. God wasn't forbidding them from having spoil. God wasn't saying, no, I want you to live a, a poor, miserable life. God had stuff for them, but they had to trust Him enough to take only what He wanted them to take and only when He wanted them to take it. Achan's sin is tragic because God had better in mind for them and more in mind for them than what Achan took for himself. So we look at these first two verses and it seems failure isn't fatal because God did not give up on them and He does not give up on us and He continues to call us forward. Now the idea of God not giving up on them, on us, it's a tremendous truth for us to get a hold of in our lives. I'm afraid we often get the idea of failure is fatal. Because God gives up on us. God gets tired picking us up when we fall down. But let me show you 
And Jane, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I say that as often as you say it about song. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now, the first part, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man being ordered by the Lord picture someone fully devoted to following God's will and God's want. They want to do God's will. They want to do God's way. They want to do all the things God wants them to do. And because of that, they're a, they are, that's what, part of what makes them a good man. And the Lord orders them. The Lord guides them. Go this way and go that way. And as they're walking in the way of the Lord, the Lord delights in that. Isn't that what you want to be in life? Don't you want to be someone who, who is so devoted to doing God's will and walking in His way that the Lord delights in the way of your life? I do. Look at the next part. Though He fall. Who's the He that falls? It's the one that was the good man whose steps are ordered by the Lord, whose way the Lord delighted in. Do you see that? A good person, a good Christian, a solidly devoted disciple of Jesus can fall. I think they can fall in two ways. Like we can stumble, and then we can throw ourselves down. And those aren't the same thing. You know, Galatians, it talks about if a brother be overtaken in a fault. And the picture of overtaken is that basically the sin just tackles us. Have you ever... Have you ever felt like the sin just tackled you? I mean, you weren't going to, but before you knew it, you were all in. I mean, and you look back and go, gosh, I didn't expect that. I mean, it was just like, woof, it overcame you. Now, still a fall, I'm not saying that, but it was just like, gosh, that wasn't my plan. That wasn't my goal. I didn't set out to do this. It just overtook me. You ever had that happen? It's a stumble. Then there's sometimes we just throw ourselves down. Sometimes, that you probably don't, but sometimes I, I'm just going, right? I know God has said not to do it, but, but I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. I, I, I'm going to. And nothing is going to stop me. Now what happens to the good man whose ways are ordered by the Lord, whose way the Lord delights in, when he stumbles? And he falls. He's not utterly cast down, for the Lord is holding him by the hand. Have you ever been walking with a small child? Maybe at the park. And you're walking at the park, and because the concrete can be broken at times, when they step off the side, they, they stumble and they almost fall down. And they, they almost fall, but, but you've got them, and so they don't, right? You just kind of pick them back up. Why? Because you're, you're holding on to them and you're stronger than them. And you keep them from falling all the way down. Because you're there and you've got them. That's the way it is. When that sin overtakes us, and, and it does, God has us. He, he doesn't let us go. He doesn't kick us to the curb. He doesn't say just go on. He is for us and not against us because we're in Christ. And so as we stumble and we fall, He holds us and He's pulling us back up, always pulling us back up. 
And if you ever walked with a small child, and your kids never did this, I know, but those two back there did, they would have a fit, and they would want to get away, but I would have them by the hand, and they would throw themselves down. Now, Sarah was worse than Caitlin was. Because Sarah would do it in public. <laughs> Caitlin didn't want people to look at her, but she doesn't want people to look at her now. And so she wouldn't have a fit in public. But Sarah would just throw herself down, scream and shake, trying to get away. But she couldn't, you know what? Stronger than she was. I was holding her hand. I could keep her from falling all the way down and rolling in the floor because I had her. What happens when we throw ourselves down? And we just, I, I'm gonna. It's God saying, go on. Oh. He doesn't. He's got us. He's got us. He has still got us by the hand. Even though we fall, we will not be utterly cast down, not because we're good, not because we're great, not because we're going to figure it out and square ourselves away, but because He's got us. And He's bigger than we are. He's stronger than we are. And He's not going to give up on us. He's not going to let go of us. So friend, when you fall... And you stumble. No. You are not utterly cast down. Because the Lord who delights in your way. Is holding your hand. And when you try to cast yourself down. And you go. You're gonna. No. You're not utterly cast down. Because the Lord who delights in your way. Is holding you. With his hand. God does not give up on us. He is holding our hand. So failure does not have to be fatal. And we go on though, there's still stuff to do. It's not just God says, I'm still with you. I'm going to guide you. Now get up and there's stuff to do. Look at what it says in verse 3. And and this kind of goes a long way, so we're not going to hit on all the chapter. but, But here's the story. I'll tell you the story. God has given them a way to... To deal with AI. Here's what they're going to do. Some of them are going to go and hide at night behind AI. And others are going to go in front of AI. And then those at front are going to run up like they're fighting them. And the king of AI is going to see them coming and he's going to say, Huzzah, we're going to win again. And he's going to launch them out into the, out into the field to fight the Israelites. And the Israelites are going to see them coming and they're going to go, and they're going to turn and they're going to run away. And as they run away, the, the Aites are all going to leave the city. And they're going to chase them down because this time, this time they're going to fully defeat Israel and not have to worry about it again. And after all of the men of Ai get out of the city and they're all out in the field, then those who hid at night in the back are going to come in and attack the city from behind and set it on fire. And when the city's on fire, Then those who are running are going to turn and they're going to charge back into the people of Ai. And at that point, the people of Ai are going to look and there's bad guys coming out of them in the front. The city behind them is on fire and there's bad guys coming at them that way as well. And they're going to know. They're going to know they're defeated. So that's the plan. That's what Joshua tells them. That's what God told Joshua to tell them to do. That's what Joshua tells the people to do. And they set out and they begin to implement God's plan. To do exactly what God says to do. So they, they divide up and they go there and they go out and they attack and then they run away. And, and something I like is in verse 18. And the Lord said unto Joshua, 
stretches out thy spear that is in thy hand, for I will give it to thy hand. Joshua stretched out the spear he had in his hand toward the city. So it's not like God gave them the plan, it was like, go on. But God guided them along the way. Right? So they went and they attacked, and they fought, and they ran away. And as they run away, God said, okay, it's time to run. And time to run is over. Turn and fight and aim your spear at the city and, and go. So God is, is guiding them all along the way. It, it's not this one time, go and do, I'll see you when it's over. Come give me the after action review and we'll see what happened. What you did right, what you did wrong. Instead, it's, come on, let's go. Right? Kind of like Jesus, follow me. And along the way, I'll say, hey, go there. Hey, do this. Hey, go that way. Hey, head over there. So they, they take and they fight. And the Bible says they had to be ruthless about it. Right? So it was, look at verse 24. It came to pass that Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field. In the wilderness there, they chased them. And they were all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed. That all the Israelites returned to Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. So it was that they all felt that they both men and women, 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, till he utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. They were ruthless. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about being ruthless as time goes on in a different sermon. But I do want to point that out here. One thing I want to point out, the idea of being ruthless with this, with today's lesson. Because we don't get to pull our hand back. When God says, go this way, we go that way and we keep going that way until God says, go another way. But it's not up to us to determine when we stop. It's not up to us to determine when we quit, when we change or how we do it. We're following God. We're following Jesus Forward. So we go when He goes, we stay when He stays, we do as He says. We have to be relentless and ruthless in our obedience. Though others don't like it, we go anyway. Though people say, I've gone far enough, we go anyway. Though people say your obedience to God is foolishness, it looks silly, nobody has to be that obedient, we go anyway. We follow the Lord. We do His will. We don't back up. We don't let up until God says it's time to do something different. Then in verse 27, tells us again, they received the plan. And I want to point this out again. Because I kind of think, and I don't think I can prove this with Scripture, I, I kind of think they, they received more than a wedge of gold 200 shekels of silver and a snazzy Babylonian garment. Again, it doesn't specifically say that, but I think that's kind of meant to be the point. But it's meant to contrast Achan. Because none of the other chapters, unless I'm mistaken, unless I've missed it, none of the other chapters specifically tell us they get the spoil. It's just understood from this point on, they get it. So what we see is, had Achan, had Achan just obeyed God, had he just left those things alone, God would have given him stuff, and in fact, more stuff, and stuff, and stuff, and stuff. In every city they go in, they're going to collect the spoil. The lesson for us, if God says, thou shalt not, 
If God says lay aside this weight or this sin which so easily besets you, then our job is to let it go because what God has for us in the future is better than what we're leaving behind. How tragic for Achan and his family and for all of those soldiers to have died for 200 shekels of silver, one wedge of gold, and a pretty garment when much better was waiting for them in the future. Whatever God says to leave, leave. Because there is something better coming. Whatever God says to lay aside, lay aside because there is something better coming. Do not think your God is trying to keep you from something good. Do not think He sent Jesus to die the horrible death on the cross, to rise from the dead. He's put His Spirit within you. He's leading and guiding you to make your life miserable and to keep you from good things. That is a tragic view of God. Whatever your God says lay aside, you lay aside because there is something better and something more in the future that God has for you. Now, our, our key idea with this is that failure doesn't have to be fatal. But we have to get up and resume following. Right? We, we, we don't stay in our valley of trouble. And that's why kind of what often happens. We blow it. And it's our fault. We have done it. There's the rubble and the ashes and the mess that we have made. And God comes and He, he speaks and He comforts. And we just stay there. Oh, it's just thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. But God's comfort in that moment isn't to keep us in the valley of trouble. It is to lead us out of the valley of trouble. To get us up and to move us forward. But he doesn't receive us and restore us to keep us where we are. Uh, the goal isn't for us to stay in the valley of trouble and constantly be reminded of our failures. So many of us, we, we want to be like the prodigal son. Right? He, he was in the slop bucket and he said, I'll go back to my father and, and I'll say, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me be a servant. He didn't think he could ever be a son again. And I think that's what we think sometimes. I, I, I don't deserve to get to move forward. I need to stay right here and look at my failure and constantly be reminded what I've done wrong. I need to stay right here and constantly be reminded, yes, God has received me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. But I have to stay in my valley of trouble and just woe is me. Woe is me. And that's not what we see in Scripture. He comes and He restores us so He can lead us forward. And, and this is for all of us. Look, look what the Bible says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, there's a lot about this passage that is so great. We don't have time to cover. But Jesus says one. We can hear His voice. And we can know it's Him. But that he, he will speak to us. He will guide us. He will come to us and say, this is what you should do. And we can know. We 
can know it's Him leading us out of the valley of trouble and leading us forward into more victories and to lead us forward to do the things He wants us to do. And He speaks so we will follow Him. Right? Again, this is again a great picture. Jesus, does, does He speak to us sometimes to comfort us and encourage us and renew our hope? Absolutely. Is that all He does when He speaks? Absolutely not. More often than not, even His encouragement is an encouragement. Get up and move forward. Renew your hope and move forward. Be strong and move forward. But Jesus speaks to lead us forward. Here's what I love. Who can hear His voice? His apostles? His prophets? Preachers, missionaries, deacons, Sunday school teachers, spiritual superheroes, is she. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? You're a she. Which means Jesus will speak to you. And he'll lead you forward. He'll call you out of your valley of trouble. He'll lead you forward into more victories to help you overcome what has defeated you before. He speaks to lead you forward. And you can hear the difference between somebody like Billy Graham hearing and you or I hearing isn't that he's Billy Graham and we're just us. It's that Billy Graham understood and he listened. He obeyed. That's what we have to do. See, Jesus speaks to lead us forward, but there is a particular way he wants us to follow him forward, and there's a way he doesn't want us to follow him forward. And look at what the psalm says. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, let's just stop there. When I think about that, I think about being in the army, Roger, and you do hand and arm signals, right? You can communicate a whole lot out in the woods without ever saying a word. Your squad leader could motion his head and he knew to go that way. He could do this and he knew what that meant. I mean, you had all of these ways that were personal to your squad. And you could communicate without ever being loud, without being obnoxious, without everybody having to hear. And so here it's a picture of being so close to the Lord that he can just go, and we're like, oh, I need to go that way. But me and my brother, we, we were always pretty close. And we went to a retreat once that my dad took us to. And we didn't know anything about it. And when we got there, it was, it was weird. We thought it was weird. Right? So they came down and they were all singing to us. Even dad. And they were like, take off your watches. We don't want you to know what time it is. And we chin looked at each other and we raised our eyebrows. And in that time we knew we had an escape plan. And we're taking the other one with us if that's what it comes to. I mean, we communicated an entire conversation about how we were going to leave and leave dad. That's what it took. Just through our eyes. Because we're close. That's the picture here that we are so close to God that just with a look, just a whisper, just a we know what God would have us to do when we take off to do it. Don't you want to be that close to God? So that's what God wants. That's how Jesus wants to lead his sheep. But what does he not want us to be? Like a horse or a mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and bridle as they come near unto me. You see, God can make us. I mean, make Jonah. Jonah is not a picture of a spirit-filled, God-empowered prophet. Jonah is a picture of somebody God forced to go and do his will. 
So God can do that. God can press on us and make our lives so miserable that we will just kind of give in and I'll go do whatever you want me to do. But that's not what God wants from us. God doesn't want us to have to have a bit and a bridle on our mouth to go the directions He wants us to go. He wants us to just be so close to Him, to be so devoted to Him that He could look and we will know that's where God's leading and we will take off. He will lead us. He will lead us out of our valley of trouble. He will lead us into the place where we can have victory over what has once defeated us, but we must hear His voice. We must follow where He's going. We fail, and we bring a valley of trouble into our lives. God does not restore us and receive us for us to stay and wallow in the valley of trouble, though. He receives us, He restores us, Call us forward out of the valley. And we must hear and we must obey. And then we recommit. Look at this. Joshua in verse 30 built an altar to the Lord, God of Israel, on the Mount Ebal. Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar, whole stones, over which no man hath lifted up any iron. They offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings, and they wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and their officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant, as well as the stranger and he that born among them, that it was born among them, half on against Mount Gerizim and half over against Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before the congregation of Israel, but the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. So Joshua builds an altar and makes sacrifices to God. The sacrifices were a way of thanking God for the victory. The sacrifices were a way of acknowledging God has given us the victory. Because in their own strength, they had lost. But now God had given them victory. Then, they gathered at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and they read the law, and they read all of the law to all of the people who stood there. It's just a kind of... They stopped. And they read everything Moses had written down that should have been read to the people. And this was a, an act of commitment or recommitment to God. God had commanded them to do this. He had told Moses to tell the people to do this. Some got on Mount Ebal and they read the blessings. Some got on Mount Gerizim uh, and they read the cursings. All of the law was to be read to all of the people. And it was a way to say we are here because of the Lord. We are recommitting ourselves to Him. And so God heard them, or God went to them, God spoke to them, God led them forward, and they responded by going forward and reaffirming their commitment, their covenant with God. Failure doesn't have to be fatal, but we do have to recommit ourselves to Jesus. There is forgiveness and there is restoration from Jesus, but it's meant to lead us back to the place where we recommit our lives to Him. 
And a good example of this is the Apostle Peter. And we'll, we'll cover this quickly. But we're familiar with the story of the Apostle Peter. One of the first disciples chosen followed Jesus all of his earthly ministry. Then on the night before Jesus, the night Jesus is betrayed, he's told by Jesus, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus and Peter, ever sure of himself, says, no, no, even though everyone else denied you, not me. But we know the story. Peter did deny him three times. On the third denial, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. He went out and he wept bitterly. Failure in a valley of trouble. Was Peter through? Did he fall beyond repair? Was it so that he could not get back up and, and go again? I mean, you think about it. Jesus was in the process of being physically abused while Peter was denying him. And Jesus saw Peter deny him. Surely, a failure like that would be fatal. But it wasn't. In, in fact, it was never going to be fatal. Look at what Jesus said to Peter as he warned him about what was coming. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan will desire to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed to thee that they fell not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You're going to fail. But you're going to come back. And then you go and I've got things for you to do. Right? He, he was always going to restore Peter. He was always going to continue to use Peter to advance his kingdom. Peter goes on. He does fail. He does deny Jesus. And he, I can imagine, feels a deep level of shame about it. But when Jesus, after he rises from the dead, and he goes to his disciples, he makes a point to go see Peter and to restore him. And every time he talks to Peter and is working to restore him, he is reaffirming to him that he has a plan for him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, are you sure you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, are you sure you love me? Come on, Lord, you know me. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Everything Jesus was doing to restore Peter was to lead him back to a place of service and devotion to Jesus. He wasn't leaving Peter in his valley of trouble. He wasn't leaving Peter as a second class apostle. Peter would rise up. He would go from there. He would preach on the day of Pentecost. And he would be at one of the main leaders of the church in the book of Acts. Jesus was always going to restore Peter. And he was always going to lead Peter forward. And he was always going to work through Peter to accomplish his will. So does failure have to be fatal? Well, to go back to my story when I was in the army. So we're walking in, it's dark. I'm walking into the line, and I'm horrified. See Sergeant First Sergeant Willoughby walking over to me. And he's making a beeline just for me. And he walks over to me and he puts his arm around me. And he leans in close and he says in my ear, You know, you almost killed Sergeant Solomon, don't you? See, yes, first sergeant, I know that. He said, Are you ever going to make a mistake like that again? I said, No. No, first sergeant, I'm not. He said, we never have to talk about this again. Throughout the AAR, he never brought it up. 
he and Sergeant Solomon were the only two people that knew about it. In fact, this is the first time I've ever told that story. He gave grace where he could have smashed me hard. Jesus gave grace to Peter where he could have smashed him and left him in the valley of trouble. God gave grace to Israel where he could have smashed them and left them in the valley of trouble. The grace of God ensures failure isn't fatal. But we must recommit ourselves to Jesus and resume following Jesus. Failure isn't fatal because of the grace of God, but we must recommit ourselves to Jesus and resume following Him. Often when we read a story like Achan's, we assume we must die for our failure as Achan died for his. But we're not Achan. And Jesus has already died for our sins and our failures. Jesus has already paid the penalty for everything we have ever done. Right? Jesus didn't pay the penalty for the sins we committed up to the point where we were saved and from that moment on we're on our own to be good. No, no. No, Jesus has paid the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Now that doesn't mean our sins aren't serious. They are. 1 John 2, 1. Uh, he writes to us that we sin not. That's the standard. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sins and your failures and my sins and my failures. Therefore, we don't have to die like Achan did. We don't have to stay in our valley of trouble. Our sins are forgiven. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Now, we may well harvest some consequences for our actions in this life. That, that's, I can't say we won't. We may. But consequences because of our actions is not the same as paying the penalty for our sins. The penalty has been paid. We don't have to die for our sins. The penalty has been paid. We don't have to stay in the valley of trouble. If you fail, when you fail, Jesus is reaching out to you. His hand is still on you. And He's saying, get up. Come back to me. Follow me. Let me lead you out of this place. And your job, your response, is just the same. Yes, Lord. And to get up. To follow where he leads. The devil will do everything he can to convince you your failure is fatal. You must die for your sins. You must be perpetually punished for your sins. You must stay in the valley of trouble and look around at the mess you've made and feel bad forever. And I want you to know that is an absolute lie. Jesus has paid your penalty. He's taken your valley of trouble. He wants to lift you up and lead you out if you will recommit yourself to him and resume following Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we rejoice today. Failure is not fatal. I have failed so many times. My goodness. I thank You, Lord. Your hand has been on me. You've not given up and You've not let me fall beyond recovery. 
but you've pulled me up and you've pulled me forward and you've led me out of my valley of trouble. Father, you know the hearts and the lives of everyone in here today. And Lord, for all of us, there are various kinds of failures we have. And it is entirely possible there are some in here right now and they have believed the devil's lie that they must be perpetually punished for their failures. They must live in their valley of trouble. Let them see Your hand upon them. Let them hear the voice of their shepherds saying, Come, follow Me and I will lead you. Father, let us all, let us be sheep that hear, follow, and obey our shepherd. Let us be so close that just a mere whisper, a look from our Lord is enough to send us in the direction we ought to go. We don't want to be Jonah. We just want to follow You and do Your will. Have Your way in all of our lives. Strengthen us to go out. To be lights that shine brightly for Jesus, we ask in His name. Amen.